on one particular Sunday in the 15 years that I've been a priest. It was the conclusion of worship, and um, everybody was finishing up. It had been a pretty eventful Sunday. Coffee hour had finished, and people had left. There were just the few stragglers around doing the cleanup that's always entailed with coffee hour. And in came a young father who had been at church that morning. That morning, in fact, I had spoken with him at quite some length at coffee hour. You know, getting familiar and having just good conversation. But when he came in the door and I saw him see me, I knew that I was the one he was looking for. He, his eyes locked and he came straight for me. And so I asked him, you know, is everything okay? And he said, yes. I was just, I was thinking I might just email or call you, but then I thought, no, I'm here. I should just go ask you now. He said, I was outside with my son and he asked me, why did Jesus die? And this father said, I didn't know what to say. I said, well, what did you say? He said, I said, well, it's because God loves us. And I said, that's a good answer. Now, you probably thought when I was starting this story, you were going to laugh right about now, right? Just because of the way I'd set it up. But you all know that question, right? And it's not a funny question. It's a hard one. Why did Jesus die? I told him what I'll tell you, that the answer, because God loves us, is a good one to go with when you don't know what else to say. Even if you do have some other parts, it's a great place to start because more often than not, the experience or the the demonstration is born out of God's love for us. That is usually the answer. Sometimes it's hard to make sense of in our head, but we know it in our gut. This father knew it in his gut, that Jesus died because God loves us. What he was wondering is what he was going to do with the questions that came after that question. Indeed, we do know about God's love for us, and we know it more deeply than our head ever starts. It usually doesn't start in our head, our awareness of God's love for us. But as we come to know it more and more deeply, then we try to make sense of it, which is a head activity. Indeed, since the very beginning, people have been trying to make sense of why did Jesus die? When I say very beginning, I mean very beginning, like in the hours and days following Jesus' death. The first disciples were talking about this. What just happened? And why did it happen? And now what are we supposed to do? That's where it starts. And for centuries, people have been engaged in attempting to answer that question. Why did Jesus die? Our lessons appointed for this particular Sunday invite us to consider the same question and an answer that has been given. Why did Jesus die? Just as a little side note, I don't know how many of you are aware, but we have a lectionary that we follow every Sunday which means the, sun, the readings that we read on a Sunday are appointed. You can look out and see what we'll be reading this time next year if you want to. The lectionary has been something inherited, passed down from generation to generation. It's believed that the Christians first started it, born from a Jewish practice. The Jewish people had readings appointed for particular days, festivals, and regular times of gathering for worship. 
And so the Christians, as they developed, took on this practice themselves. So you can see how we are a part of a stream of faithful people that goes back forever. I think it's fair to round up to just forever. And one thing that we can discover is that often these are put together to highlight a particular theme or area of focus. Because you know there's a lot of choices in here of what you can pull out and put together for a Sunday observance. Today's scripture reminds us of one particular way of understanding why did Jesus die. And it draws us into reflecting on the role of the priest among the Hebrew people. I want to draw your attention actually first to the passage from the letter to the Hebrews. It was written to a Hebrew audience. So it, it, it um, relates to what was familiar to the Hebrew people, and that is the role of the priest. Now, our lesson for today picks up four lines into this particular section of the letter to the Hebrews. So I want to read to you just the first four verses that precede where it is we began this morning. Every high priest is taken from the people and put in charge of things that relate to God for their sake, in order to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. The high priest is able to deal gently with the ignorant and those who are misled, since he himself is prone to weakness. Because of his weakness, he must offer sacrifices for his own sins as well as for the people. No one takes this honor for themselves, but takes it only when they are called by God, just like Aaron. Perhaps you can hear how this writer is showing how Jesus manifests priesthood qualities. He is able to be compassionate with the ignorant and those that are misled because he is a human just like them. He knows of their vulnerabilities. He knows of their weaknesses, their temptations. The writer to the Hebrews was saying, Jesus does this too because Jesus is fully human and he is able to be sympathetic and to be aware of where it is that we can fall prey to the evil and the wrongs of this world. So the priest offers up sacrifices for their own sins first, his own sins first. And then, once those sacrifices have been offered, he does it on behalf of the whole people. The writer to the Hebrews was wanting to highlight how Jesus lives into this role. First and foremost is being fully human, coming among us, that the people recognize his leadership. Now, if we read a little bit further, and I'll let you do that later, you can see that the author is reminding us that Jesus was sinless. So what sacrifices does he offer for his wrongs when he is one who committed no wrongs? There's actually a line in our passage for this morning that gives an answer, and I like how this translation says it. It says, Christ offered prayers and requests with loud cries and tears as his sacrifices to the one who was able to save him from death. His sacrifices were his prayers, his tears, the recognition of his suffering. Offering that to God, that's what he had to offer. We see in Jesus a model for ourselves that coming to God with our brokenness and offering it to God is a sort of sacrifice. 
It's not the unblemished lamb or the pair of turtle doves. It instead is our very selves, our vulnerabilities as humans, the inherent weaknesses and challenges that come with being finite creations. Jesus offered his prayers, his lamentations, his tears as his sacrifice to God. And in offering that, he created inside himself a space to receive God's direction, the ability to learn, which, as you read in scripture, is a word that can also be translated obey. To listen, I said it wrong, to listen is the word that can be translated to obey. Listening is obeying. Consider that for a moment. So Jesus, as he brings his awareness of the suffering, his own heartache, heartache which comes from being human, to love is to open oneself up to the pain of loving, right? And we desire love. And so by the very nature of our longings, we are right there next to our pain and suffering. Jesus shows us how to offer this to God, and in so doing, to learn to listen and to obey God's invitation and instruction in our lives. Jesus models that for us, so that then, when considering all of the pain and suffering of humanity, he's able to listen and obey again. The sacrifice is of his very self, his very self seeing himself as an agent for showing the glory of God. Which brings us to the gospel passage for this morning. Here Jesus is. Greeks have come to see him. So you see now the message of the good news is beyond the chosen people. Now others are hearing it, and they want to see Jesus too. They are enticed by what they've witnessed, by what they've heard, and they've come to see Jesus. When they come to see Jesus... They want to receive what he has to offer. And Jesus is saying, you do get to receive what I have to offer. The generosity of God is immense. And it goes beyond even the boundaries that we've established. You hear it, don't you, in the prophet's words, in Jeremiah that we read this morning? God's generosity, that God, even when God has been refused, God will still offer God's self coming among people right where they are, writing it on their hearts so that they will know God. Right there. God offers again and again. And so we hear Jesus thinking out loud in our gospel this morning when he says, what am I supposed to say? Father, save me from this hour. You know that he wants to say that. You know that he will say that. In our gospel lesson today, he confesses his prayer. And in so doing, sacrifices his desire to avoid what is to come. And hears in himself God's words to him. What am I supposed to say? Father, save me from this hour? No, this is why I've come. My prayer is glorify your name. And God affirms that. And what to some people they hear is thunder, others hear the words of God. As God says, indeed, 
I will glorify myself. I've done it before and I'll do it again and people will witness my glory and they'll be further drawn into what I have to offer them, the infinite love and mercy that I am, that I long to give to my creation, if only they'll receive it. It's available to all people. I make no distinction. Another thing that we will hear again on our Easter readings, I make no distinction between Jew and Greek, male or female, slave or free. It's available to all. And this is the good news. We are invited to recognize that suffering, which is inherent in being human, something that we cannot avoid as long as we are alive, that that is a means even for us to know the glory of God. That God will even use our suffering to draw us closer to God. Does it make sense? No. But we've known it from experience. And so we need to learn how to find God in the midst of the suffering. It's something that we learn to grow in. Indeed, there is some suffering that we can eliminate and avoid, but it all can't be done away with. A life of suffering or life that has suffering in it cannot be lived. It is impossible. And you see, even if we look at children, what suffering can look like, right? A kid who doesn't get what they want will demonstrate their lamentation, sometimes with volume or fists or a tantrum on the floor, sometimes with tears in a quiet room, they know even at the very little part of their lives what it is to not have what you long for. And yet we know, as those who are nurturing them to grow, that suffering is something that comes with being human. Some of it can be avoided, but some of it can't. And so we want to teach our young children how to find God in the midst of the suffering, even when we ourselves can't give them the specific answer but we know that we want to show them that suffering can lead to something new. God will make sure it does. Whether it's self-inflicted or some force of evil, God will bring something good from it. When I think about our young people and the stresses they have in their schoolwork, we know we can't protect them from that. And indeed, guess what? There's more on the way. It doesn't look like homework, perhaps. But don't worry, there's going to be some other things that will be hard to figure out. Right? So we use the very fabric of their lives to show them how to draw closer to God. Just yesterday, we had to make an emergency run to stop and shop for some food coloring. Maybe you've experienced this before in your own life. Millicent was making a cake, and she wanted some green because it was St. Patrick's Day. And so we found a little moment to run to the grocery store for food coloring. And as we were sitting at the light at CVS to make our way back home, I said to her, how much time, are the cakes in the oven? She said, yes. And I said, how much time is left on those? She said, oh, when we left home, there were 21 minutes. I said, oh, okay. I said, I think we're going to make it back in time. And that's when her panic set in. I said, now, wait, 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 let's look. We texted Dad right as we pulled out of the driveway. Look at my phone. What time did that text send? 
And so she figured out what time that was. And I said, now we're going, now what time is it here? Okay, so it took us 12 minutes to leave our driveway, drive to Stop and Shop, go inside, get the food coloring, pay for it, get back in the car, and get back to the stoplight at CVS. So we have eight minutes to get all the way here. I think we're going to make it. Well, the facts didn't quite satisfy her. I could tell by her posture. So I said, breathe, breathe, we're going to get there. And she really poo-pooed that whole idea. I share that illustration because, guess what? There's going to be another time when she's going to lament the stress that is upon her. It might be something bigger than cake. I don't know. But I know that wasn't the last time. How is it that we learn in the fabric of our lives to rely on God? That's a simplistic illustration for sure, but hopefully it reminds you of some bigger things, bigger things in your life where your gut tightens, where your mind reels, where you feel an impatience or desire that won't let you go. That is an aspect of the longing that we have and the suffering that we feel. And so we're encouraged to see where God is in the midst of it. Indeed, my friends, I can't make sense of the suffering of the world, but I recognize our desire to have God something do something, to have God do something with it. Even this last week in the march outs that happened all across schools, all across our land, it's because there are young people that say, we don't want this to ever happen again. We want to be the last school shooting. Is the solution that they've come up with or that others have come up with the final panacea? I don't know. Will it lead to the desired outcome? I know that's the prayer. We want God to do something with the suffering that we have. And Jesus shows us that God will. We do not know always how, but we do know of God's faithfulness that God will not leave us wherever we are, whatever circumstances we find ourselves in. And we're invited, as God, as God demonstrated to us in his very self, Christ coming among us, we're invited to turn, to turn to Christ, to raise up our pain and suffering, to sacrifice it on the altar of our salvation, to say, God, do something with this, please. I give it all to you in the hope and in the trust that you will glorify yourself and I will be caught in that glory. This is what Jesus demonstrated for us. This is what he showed us when he died. So please remember, if you can't answer the question, why did Jesus die? You can answer the question, what have you learned from it? That God loves the world so much that God will give God's very self to be in relationship with his creation. That nothing will stand in the way of God's desire to communicate that love to us. Neither death nor life, principalities and powers, nothing, no height nor depth. That God wants to convey God's love for God's creation. That's something that we know. Amen.